Hello and welcome back to a new culture of the day. So I have absolutely no clue how this episode is going to turn out. Um, the day's been completely hectic and I have yet again been humbled by um, God. I have the, okay, quick story time. I have the Aura Twilight screensaver, right? Except I didn't check. Well, I knew that there was this YouTube, well, TikToker that I follow that did the upgrade of on her MacBook and the screensaver stopped showing the time. So it's just the gradient. And I was like, well, you know, I'm built different. That will not affect me. And my dumbass, instead of checking on the website of the screensaver, where I would have seen that that's completely normal if it happens, it's something that they're trying to get fixed and because it's like some sort of lagging with Apple and everything. But anyway, instead of checking that, I was just like, I'm built different, did the upgrade. The like lock screen is beautiful, but it's like, I don't have my time anymore. That's pissing me off and I'm very impatient. So I'm now trying to figure out how to reverse the upgrade just because I don't want to wait for when they're going to fix it because that screen saver was my whole goddamn personality. Like I can, this, this was everything that I want, like that. I, and I don't know how to speak English. So that's been fun. Um, other than that, let's move on to today's theme. Um, so today's theme, and also another reason why I don't know how that's going to turn out is that today's theme is a theme that I still have trouble arguing articulating and I have trouble talking about, um, which is navigating my identity. And there are so many ways that one can navigate their identity. But in this case, I'm specifically talking about being biracial um, and what does that imply and basically intersectionality because that is also my whole personality. This is what I'm doing my thesis on, which I would love to talk about it, but I'm trying to avoid um, the evil eye. Um, I'm trying to graduate with honors. I want my thesis to be the best. So, um, But yeah, I am still navigating my identity. And I say that as if I'm like 53 and I'm 21. But it's a, it's very tender and very hard, like hard thing to do. On a daily basis, because like, it's been a day, it's been a long day. Yeah, navigating my identity and accepting and learning to be loved are the two things that I'm still trying to figure out. Um... Because the core of that for me is that I'm black. I'm a black woman. Most people would qualify me and would like look at me and say that I'm a black woman. But I enjoy privileges due to white supremacy. I'm lighter. Um, I remember in high school, like a lot of guys were like saying that biracial girls were like a lot more beautiful and like they were just cuter and whatever, whatever. Um, those are discussions that I've even had with my sister and I 
you know, I have those privileges whether I want them or not. And to be fair, they're privileges, right? Like you can do whatever you want. Comfort for a human being is always the main thing. If that screensaver comes up one more time, I swear to God, I'm killing myself. That is a joke. That, that if you, if I say that a lot, I threaten to kill myself five times a day. I'd never do it. Don't have the balls to. That's just a joke. Um, but anyway, yeah. And I enjoy privileges um, that dark-skinned black women do not have. And at this time, seemingly will never because of how fucking established society is. Um, but basically, yeah, it's navigating this line um, of like, I am black, but it's not completely. But then how do I go about the different values and the different cultural elements of both sides? Because it is black and white, so it is colonizer and colonized it is power and it's oppressor and oppressed and there is this power play that's always well at play really so and then you know you have the questions am i too black which i'm definitely not and am i too white which a lot of people could argue i am which is then a whole other topic um um and it's like one of the topic or the things where it's like it comes to how you feel and how you understand that you belong within an environment. Um, like it is not something of your choosing, but something of your realizing, I guess. Um, and sometimes like you get pressured in actually choosing, like you have to be, you have to consider yourself black or you have to consider yourself white because that's easier, right? When you choose, well, that's who you are and that's it. And I guess maybe something that like disturbs people about being biracial is that sometimes they think that we get to pick and choose what is more convenient for us, which is something that I've heard before, which is not the case. Like it's absolutely not the case. It's trying to do what feels right to you because there is no generic, generic, like freshly out of the box instruction on telling you how to behave and how, what to like and how to do this and how to do that and how to understand the concept of family and how to understand the concept of friendship and so on um but yeah it's it's definitely oh it's that i wouldn't say a struggle but it's 100 percent not pleasant that's for sure um but yeah it's like you know figuring out what works for you and it's something that I have started to do. Like, it's a process. But, you know, I'm only 21. I got my whole life to figure out who I am and how I want to navigate my dual identity. But anyway, um, so this episode, like I was saying last episode, is going to be different. Because it is hard to, like, for this thing, like, to find an artist that, like, relates absolutely to, like, the notion 100%. I mean, I have an artist, but I've already talked about her. And I will talk about her again but I've decided to do songs that for me kind of relate to that kind of like battle or like nav navigation, I guess. And the first one, which I, hmm, I will cry. It is possible that I might cry is Carmen by Olivia Dean.
that. So this song is part of the album Messy. Um, and it's a song that is dedicated to her grandmother, Carmen, who came to the UK during the Windrush generation when she was just 18. Um, and one thing about me is I am always, always super emotional when songs about, when the song is about grandparents. Like, I don't know what it is about me, but I will sob every time. And before I get to like, cause, okay, so this episode is going to be a bit messy, but it's fine. We love it. Um, there is a song, a particular song, which is by, by the way, if you hear an explosion in the background, people are shooting fireworks, um, Dublin, Ireland, I guess, but yeah. Um, and one of the songs that really does it for me, and it's not really related to the notion of identity, but I thought I could include it because it's a beautiful song. It is Eyes Wide Open by Sabrina Carpenter. just recorded it and I I had like my eyes were filled with tears um but anyway there is just something about like yeah I don't know what it is but it is very real um I don't know it's just kind of like the comfort that grandparents bring but that is not the subject of today um I could have actually included that in the subject for a couple days from now well a couple weeks but anyway 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 so with, with this song in particular, I think it's like a niche spot because it's like grandparents, but it's also, you know, the song about like one of the person who's made you who you are in a very visible way. Um, and, and the song, as you, as you heard, she draws parallel between her grandma and the queen when she says, you never got a jubilee, but I'll throw it for you. I'm having a great time. Like you can, I'm, anyway, uh, and it's, it's very sweet and it's just, you know, it's something that like she mentioned a lot of time in her interviews and whatnot about, you know, um, and there is a really cute video that she just released a couple days ago that says, you know, like I, I never know where I belonged. And that was kind of like my weakness because I could never completely fit in one spot, like fit within one community, but maybe that's just my superpower. And, um, there is something about her and I think maybe that's why I'm so drawn to her music and so drawn to her as a person is because we are navigating some of the same challenges in terms of finding ourselves, you know, being gentle with yourself and trying, which like, to be fair, everybody else does navigate their identity in their own way. But I think, you know, that notion for biracial people of like, you need to fit somewhere, like it's it's an obligation that you have doesn't matter how that makes you feel doesn't matter if you if it feels icky you just have to and um yeah um then there is a song which i really like and it's i don't know maybe it's very paradoxical it it's just it's um the song is 
Nina cried power by Hosier. That's that's a very powerful song, and when I said paradoxical, it's like I, I mean it's a song about oppression in general, which you know Hosier is Irish, like you know I the the British oppression of Irish people. I think that's how that would make sense. Like you know this is something very very deep and very important, and very like close to the country, and that only makes sense. Which I don't want to get into the comments he's made and the call for action he's made about like the you know ethnic cleansing of Palestinian civilian by the IDF which I think was personally total bullshit because you don't know it's just like he he is someone who's been very vocal about oppression and how destructive it is and how it constitutes the death of humanity and it's I don't know it's just like oh cease fire don't kill innocent people like obviously my guy like but any that's like you know I just that's not the matter I mean, and, you know, the matter is, like, you know, you, you make donation, you educate yourself. Um, like, you know, the situation is way too se severe for me to go on and ramble about a white man's comment. Um, but anyway, um, I do I do really like Hosier. I mean, I've, I love his music. It, it's, it's, I don't know, it, it gets to the soul really easily. Um but anyway, um, so I've initially, I was initially listening to Nina Cried Power, who's your featuring Mavis Staples. And I've listened to it in Wasteland Baby's second album. And I liked it, but I guess I wasn't paying attention to the lyric. And so I remember I was watching this Netflix show called Tiny Pretty Things, which is focusing on a ballet school where one of the students has been murdered and a new student has just come in. Came in. Oh, for fuck's sake has just entered the school, leave me alone. Um, and so basically there is this scene where they have to dance and Nina Cried Power is playing in the background. And I remember watching that and watching the dance. And the protagonist of that show was actually biracial as well. And I just remember watching it and the dance and the passion and the implication, like the, the, the strength and the essence of it and how much it moved me. Um, and I got teary eyes, but you know, per usual, you know me by now, I cry for everything. Um, and I don't know, I just like got to, got me to this newly founded interest and love and passion for the song. And so the song is a song about oppression, but for me, it like really resonated in terms of like black oppression, like how black people have been oppressed. Um, I mean, the song is called Nina Cried Power, and it's a reference for maybe if, if somebody doesn't know it's a reference to cinnamon by nina simone where she cries power because the lord let me get the lyrics properly i'm gonna do even better i'm gonna insert a clip of cinnamon by nina simone
Yeah, so I guess you can see why, you know, I'd like reckon that this song resonates a lot more with like the black community and, you know, Hozier is quoting a lot of black American singers who were, engage were engaged in the civil rights movement or, or had songs that talked about, you know, the freedom of black people in whatever spectrum that may be. Um, so yeah, but um, I don't know. And it's just, maybe Staples is just the voice and, and the whole line about, you know, um, you know, tells you to rattle your chains if you like being, if you loved being free. It's just, it's, it's a, anyway. Um, yeah. And I know that doesn't kind of like fit how navigating the identity, but it's like, you know, something that I'm really sensitive to, like, I mean, you know, as we all should like, you know, inequality, inequalities and like, you know, injustice is just like, I mean, I feel like I'm just it's saying a political speech. It's like it's just basic human morals and human values. And, and it's just, yeah. So then um, one thing I was thinking about was um, her voice. And it's, a, it's also a show which I have not included today. But her voice is, a sh it's, it's a show that's about this young girl, Bess, who's biracial as well. And she's trying to find her voice, really. She's trying to make space for herself to be a singer. And she, navigated, she navigates, sorry, New York and heartbreaks and whatnot. And I don't know, it's just, it's, it's beautiful because it's, I mean, the show is described, quote unquote, as a universal journey of finding your authentic voice in your early 20s. It is described as a fresh, intensely romantic tale of the search to find your true voice and then the courage to use it, which fits so perfectly with what I'm talking about today because it's about figuring out who I am or like who we are in general and then just verbalizing that and being able to stand your ground on that and being able to every day construct and solidify and strengthen what you think to be yourself or how you qualify yourself. Um, yeah, it's just, I think, you know, to belong and find your voice or your calling is just such a relentless endeavor. It's just, it's, it's like I said, you know, I am 21, but I'm probably going to figure myself out until the day I die. And that's, you know, that's scary because that means there's so many layers to be, you know, peeled off and so many things to understand and, and so many mistakes to be made perhaps which you know but the song that I like to present for Dear Hope well you know I just said it the song I'd like to present for her voice would be Dear Hope I can't to shake There might be a couple of other songs within the um, within the show that 
would fit better this notion of finding your voice. But I don't know, there is something so vulnerable and so genuine, I guess, about Dear Hope for me, where it's just like, it's, you know, asking hope to not let you down. And it's, you know, being hopeful that things are going to work out and being hopeful that you're going to figure it out some way. And, you know, just asking hope to please not to let you down. And I think that's beautiful. And I wasn't supposed to do another song but I was as I was like thinking and roaming through as I was talking I thought about a song which I mean embodies the notion of figuring yourself out and I've cried so many times to this song because it just hits home and in a way that's just like perfect um and it would be Vienna by Billy Jones Yeah, I mean, I think the theme is like navigating my identities, my identity, you see, there you go. Lapsus revelateur, juste pour vous. In terms of everything, really. And I mean, you know, Vienna, I saw this TikTok a while ago that was like every burnt out girl who's trying to do her best and slightly sensitive when Vienna comes up well like comes you know starts playing and it's just someone bawling and that's me how many times have I cried to this song because it's like the warmest hug of like you know you're doing okay it's fine you you can't be you can't be everything you gotta have everything right now and you know patience is really hard to cultivate I mean we've seen this I am now locked with an ugly ass screensaver that doesn't show the time but it's, I don't know, it's it's beautiful to tell yourself that, you know, there is more room. Like, I don't want to peak right now. I don't want to have everything figured out because then what do I do? Like, do I just stay there and enjoy? Yeah, sure. But I want to discover and I want to try things and I want to see what I like and what I don't like, who I am and, and how I just, do I describe that? But yeah. Um, anyway, now moving on to uh, the show and the movie. Um, so last week, I talked about how absolutely and utterly in love I am with anything that relates to women in their thir- in their twenties and their everyday life. I want to see the small and the tiny things as much as the big achievement, right? And so the shows that I'm going to talk about today fall into these categories. They're about everyday life, but they're also and they also have biracial protagonists, biracial and or black protagonists. Um which, you know, are finding where they belong and understanding their identity, what they think, what they deem important, and what comes with overall being aware of who you are and how you act when you gain gain such knowledge. And so the first show I'm going to talk about is The Bold Type. And I, oh my God, I love The Bold Type. I was hyping kind of like the main points for the show and I was so tempted to just go and rewatch it. But basically, The Bold Type is... 
about three friends, Jane Sloan, Sutton Brady, and Kat Edison. Um, and they all work, well, at the beginning, they all work in the same newspaper named Scarlet, which is based on Cosmopolitan. So they're all based in New York, and, you know, they're like those girls in their 20s living the life. Jane, well, they all started as assistant, but Jane moved on to be a writer, a columnist, for some, I think, political feminist, a feminist columnist, I guess. Columnist? Columnist? Anyway, that's what you could call it, her. And Kat became the head of the social media department, right? And the one that was still an assistant at the beginning of the show was Sutton. And she was a fashion assistant. And then slowly she gets to be a fashion designer, a fashion stylist, and it's it's great. But um, basically the thing, um, and what I argue is that Kat is kind of like one of the overlooked character, one of the overlooked character. Because like, you know, I mean, they're all friends and they all work together and they're super close and they live together on multiple occasions. But the show is basically focused on Jane and her life and the, like, you know, her mom had breast cancer and that's what she died of. So there is this whole storyline. And Sutton is, for, for what I've seen, one of the fan favorites because she has this great love story with Richard. And, you know, she's, like, very cool. Like, Sutton is great. And then you have Kat. And then Kat is not only a woman of color, well, the only woman of color out of the three of them. She's also, she is the queer woman of color, right? So, you know, she truly gives intersectionality a whole new meaning. Well, not a whole new meaning, but a, um, applicable. An application of the theory? Like, you know, she's the case study. Um, and, you know, I'd say she's overlooked, not like in a heavy way where she, like Kat Graham was in The Vampire Diaries and how she was treated and how the story, her storylines kept going back and forth because, you know, Julie Plett kept trying to kick her off the show and whatever and everything rather. But it was more like subtle, like, um, and it was how the show was made and structured, right? Like the writer's room was mainly white. And the actress, Aisha D, actually at some point, um, if my memory serves me well, had to argue for Kat and, you know, for her representation within the show, wanting, you know, something more complex, more nuanced, more human, really. Um, which is like something that you can see towards the end because the ending of the bull type alone, the ending alone is like why it makes it one of my favorite show. It's my favorite ending for all the characters, actually, not just for Kat. But basically what happened is that... So it's a little spoiler alert, but I'll just preface yeah by saying that it was perfectly done. And, well, not perfectly done, but it was well done, and it made a lot of sense for each character. So basically, spoiler alert, you can skip to like five minutes-ish if you don't want to listen to what happened at the end. But Kat becomes the editor-in-chief of Scarlet Magazine. Because initially, the job was going to Jane um, because, you know, that was Jane's whole dream. She always wanted to be like, um, well, the... Um, I forgot her name, but the chief editor is the one who played Michael Scott's first girlfriend in The Office, and she played Lorelai in Hannah Montana, the movie. Anyway, great references, I know, thank you. Um, but basically it was initially going to Jane, but like Jane realized that she lost herself in the process of wanting to be what she thought she wanted. And 
also realized that she would never be able to make as much change as Kat would. You know, but it's still like the job initially went to Jane, but I mean, because Kat gets fired from Scarlet because she became the whistleblower for the funding money of the magazine, which was from far right wing political figures that were supporting conversion, um, conversion therapy and a lot of awful things like that. And she talked about it to the chief, the chief editor, and she was like, well, you know, we shouldn't know about that. And then, you know, blew everything up, got fired and everything. But yeah, um, Jane, I think, decides to leave New York and go somewhere else to like travel and write. And Sutton, if I'm not mistaken, becomes the head of the fashion department, which, you know, makes sense because I'm rooting for, for Sutton because, you know, she's doing her own little thing. She's navigating her own issues, wanting to have children, not wanting to have children. Actually, my mistake gets divorced after getting Marie married and everything. Um, but, you know, like, it was just, I think, a lovely ending because at some point Kat even dabbled into politics herself because she wanted to make a change and she realized that people that didn't look like her when they were in a political position did not care for her interest and her community's interest. So she was like, well... Nobody's going to stand up for me. I'm going to stand up for myself and for my people and for the people that I care about. And, you know, it was just like kind of like that approach of like you want to see change then become the change. But then to be fair, Kat's background was that she was from a wealthy background. Her parents were both psychiatrists. So there was a lot of like open mindedness and a lot of freedom to explore who you were. And which is like, you know, that's how she comes into the show. She's like, like, you know, she spoke up, she speaks up for herself. She's like defending her ground and, you know, which is like a privilege that like, it's like a background that not everybody, well, a few people have like, you know, but yeah. And the second show is Summertime, Netflix show Summertime. Um, and it used to be one of my favorite show until they butchered the ending. Like the season three was terrible. Um, but basically it's about this Italian biracial girl, Summer, um, who lives in a small beach town in Italy, which only kind of like comes alive in the summer, right? Um, her dad is a trumpet player and jazz fan, and he called her after the famous song, Summertime, which I forgot I was going to do, but please enjoy Summertime. Summertime, Listen, um, this episode is what it's going to be. But, I mean, what I really liked is, like, you know, it dealt very subtly but very actively with her being biracial in Italy. Like, I remember in the first episode, um, Ale, who's, you know, the love interest, um, he asked her, where are you from? And she's like, I'm from here. But he's like, where are you really from? And she asked him, is it because I'm black that you're asking that? And then he goes, well, no, it's just because I'm not from here. Like, you know, I grew up here, but I was born in Rome. And, you know, like, things like that that kind of, like, bring out, like, 
the, her reality and the actress actually, um, I forgot her name. I know her first name is Coco. Um, but she was talking about how important it was for her to like play that character and bring out the reality of it without like, you know, maybe falling into stereotypes or whatever, but just showing that, you know, it's something that happens and, you know, and how she navigated the world and like learned to make mistakes and, you know, was like within this relationship between her dad, um, who was always away and then her mom who was there, but who was completely overwhelmed and, you know, kind of wanted time for her. However, I'd like to mention as well that both characters like Kat and Summer have a white mom and a black dad, which I think for me is different than having a black mom and a white dad, just because, you know, I mean, in the society that we live in, we can never deny the impact and the importance that a mother has over a father, because that's just the way it's been, you know, like even because, you know, when you have the mother carrying the child, at least in like heterosis relationship, I mean, obviously, um, it's it like puts in and there was a couple of things that I I've noticed in differences between you know having a black mom and a white mom in terms of culture and in terms of like how much extended family do you have let's say or how much time that you spent at uncles and aunties and you know habits that you have like you know going into one of your aunties house and you just open the fridge because you can't just be asking like, can I have anything to drink? Because they'll just be like, go help yourself. Like that's your home. Go. Um, but yeah, so I'll just kind of skip over that because in hindsight, it's just, I don't think it's, it's that relevant. Um, but anyway, um, moving on to the book that I was going to talk about, it is out of the sun by Edu Eguin. Eguin. Um, and I was actually thinking of another book to put in last night before going to bed, but I completely forgot. So this is actually very different to like all of the books I've talked about up until now because it's giving a lot more academia, a lot more professional. It's not fiction um, and it's written, it's like autobiographical within some chapter and then it's like reaching over to history and, and figures that have been completely wiped out and have not been remembered or just like, you know, related to the margin and kind of like bringing them to the forefront, bringing them into the light. Um, and it's about the African diaspora throughout the globe, which is really interesting. And I'm going to actually go get the book because I want to kind of like read the name of each chapter because it's focusing on black people within the framework of a specific continent. And I think it's it's brilliantly done. The book has chapter one, Europe and the art of seeing, Canada and the art of ghosts, America and the art of empathy, Africa and the art of the future, Asia and the art of storytelling. And it like each chapter focuses of like, you know, black representation and black community. So she talks about David Martin's portrait of Dido Elizabeth Bell Lindsay and Lady Elizabeth Murray, which there is a great movie about that with Ngungum Bataro, which great, brilliant actress. But it's actually after reading about the book, I actually went and saw the movie because I didn't even know there was a movie about, about her and like, you know, her life, which is a great movie. Like I'd recommend. They, I think from what I've seen and read, they did her justice really. Um, but, you know, there are great quotes throughout the book. Um, so, for example, in, you know, chapter one, Europe and the art of seeing, 
She says at the end, to look at a portrait is to be forced to build a human life out of our own imaginations. That is what makes it a fundamentally hopeful act. Every portrait is a plea at its heart for empathy. We wade back towards them to their essential mystery, which is the same mystery we each of us are now living out. The morality of our choices, the worth of how we've spent our limited hours. And it's just, it's a beautiful book and it's such an easy read. Like, I'm just, I'm like scheming through it and how many things have I highlighted and, you know, talking about Afrofuturism, you know, like talking about like, you can't rebuild the past because of slavery, colonization and everything that's been destroyed, looted, sto looted stolen, you know, like imperial forces have like come into various African countries and have like destroyed everything on their way out. And, you know, she says, with the years, it has become difficult to remember my mother's voice. Afrofuturism is the story of dislocation. And it's just, it's, it's a great book. And I'm, I'm roaming through it, um, you know, talking about diaspora and how we just have navigated over the years onto different continents, forcefully or not, and just kind of like built the sense of, um, of identity is not like any small enterprise. Um, it is beautiful. It is the the subtitle is essays at the crossroads of race, and she deals with black fishing and she deals with a um, you know uh, what's the term um lynching um lynching I I think um and she she talks about a lot of things that I never knew about like I knew about some things like um. The Venus au Tanto, um, but I never knew about Belle. And, you know, like to actually see the portrait, like, you know, to see that portrait that was made during um, the Grand Tour, I believe, around the Grand Tour is just, you know, something where I, I, I never, like, you know, and to see like a black person represented as an equal rather than, you know, someone's in fear, someone who's in fear because that's what the representation was. That's what the iconography was at the time. And I could go on and on and on and on about black iconography and art, but it's not for today. Uh, maybe it's for another episode, but it's just this notion of being represented and, you know, because how do you want to craft your identity if you do not have any referral points, which, you know, you're not, to, you're not, you're not to base yourself off of that, but I guess, you know, it's about, um, you need guidance to some extent, like whether it be, oh, that's not who I want to be. Oh, that's exactly what I'm aiming for. You need a starting point. You can't just start out of thin air. If one of you motherfucker lit another firework, I swear to God. Um, but yeah, and memory and remembering and realizing that you know i mean we all know that history is written by the powerful side by those who quote unquote won and to kind of like you know comfort yourself to something different um i mean that recommend is always good and you know she there is a part where she talks a bit about her identity because she both her parents were ghanaian ghanaian and they think they moved to the u.s 
before she was born. So she, all she ever knew was the U.S., right? She was americano Ghanaian, I guess. Like, you know, she had, like, the dual citizenship, but that didn't doesn't mean that she had any relation to Ghana outside of her parents and outside of how that, like, cultural background translated within a new environment. And I, I don't know, I think that's fascinating because then, you know, you get to a point where you actually want to discover that for yourself. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if this episode illustrated the theme as clearly as I wished it did. I don't know if the theme is even clear. I don't know if the theme is meant to be clear. I don't think navigating your identity can ever be straightforward. And it was perhaps my own mistake and my own restlessness to do so that maybe made the episode what it is, but it is what it is. Um, you know. And those are notions, like I've been saying throughout the episode, there is a notion I'm still trying to figure out, right? So there is no right or wrong answer. And there is, like I was saying, no model fits all, no model fits all. Um, and yeah, it's about seeing what works for you, what makes you feel good, what makes you feel like you're honoring yourself and the people who have come before you and have come together to create the being that you are and what makes you feel anchored. Um, what promotes you as who you are and in regards to like you know in regards to like biracial being biracial black and white that is because I remember in undergrad I had this professor I was doing a rep I was doing rep biracial representation within Hollywood and she was like what do you mean by biracial and I was like well that's a fair question I've never thought about it but also like you've seen me I'm going to talk about something that matters to me and that is looking like me, which is selfish, but you know, it is only fair. Um, but you know, whether it's like having natural or relaxed hair, wearing pan or not, uh, leaning more towards listening to African or Western music, you know, it, it's, it's, it's small things, but then, you know, that doesn't define who you are and that doesn't define you into choosing a side. It's just like who you are and you can honor and respect both of those, both of your cultures without having to pick a side. Simply being born and being yourself, respecting and honoring those two cultures as part of your essence is more than enough. Um, but yeah, I know, like I said, I mainly talked about being biracial in terms of being black and white, but I've had various conversations with dear, dear friends of mine where it was the same struggle, like not being enough, um, being always targeted, tar targeted for like, oh, you need to be more like that or your future aren't enough like that. Oh, you don't look like that though. Like, are you even really that like in terms of like, you know, identity, like I've had people come to me like discussions being like, are you really black? Like, do you feel black? And it's also like none of your business first off, but yeah, I do. And it's a, it's a very delicate balanced space that we're just trying to make the best of. And it's a very peculiar kind of worms that we have to navigate in our own little particular way until we've made sense of who we are. And hopefully the sooner the better or like the easier the better. Oh, you know what? Let's just go with the flow. I guess that's the wrap of it. It's been a very weird episode. It's been a bit messy. It's been a bit political, which is always good. Um, it's been a bit unfocused. It's been a lot of music, actually. Um... But like Rob Brooke said in High Fidelity, making playlists 
is great because you get to use someone else's words to say exactly what you mean. And on that note, I send you a lot of kisses. I hope you had a good week. I hope you had a good day. Have a nice weekend. And I'll see you soon. Yours with love. Always. Marion. Thank you.